Welcome to the Gatecast and our journey to the Pegasus Galaxy and the City of the Ancients, Atlantis. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Stargate Atlantis Season 2 wrap-up. And thanks to a convolution of timings and some early warnings, we actually have Brad here from the beginning rather than halfway through. Brad? Morning, I'm here. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome, Brad. What time is it? Currently, it is 3.40am on a Sunday morning. Look at that commitment. Didn't show it yesterday, did he? 3.40am on Tuesday morning. My time, I'll be on a bus for the previous 40 minutes heading towards Helsinki. By the time you actually are listening to this, all been done. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to find fizzy pineapple. Yay. Oh. Very appropriately named drink, Yafa. <laughs> Comes in a wide variety of flavours. There's pineapple, Jaffa, and there's a green one. I'm not entirely sure what flavour the green is. I haven't risked tasting it. But the problem is, <laughs> yes. it's not free. What? Oh, right. Well done, Alan. <laughs> well, I was discussing how much things cost, so forgive me if I don't make the jump instantly. You know? Guess I'm not the only one that can do that, people. I should probably tweet at this point, which I may have forgotten to do last night. I did it. Yeah. I'm just wrapping up, Chuck, and I saw one of the latter episodes playing a bad guy called Riker, FBI agent from White Collar. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, I know him, I know him, I know who he is, but I'm going to leave it on screen for a while rather than immediately diving for IMDb and seeing if the name comes to me, which it does sometimes. Are we ready to kick off? Yeah, I'd really like to get something to eat and sit down in front of the TV and do nothing. <laughs> Productive day, but a long day. Ah. I've got a carry-on film to watch. Oh, God, we should keep this recording going as long as possible then and save you the agony of it. Nonsense. Carry-on cowboy on Blu-ray. <laughs> Come try ya! Right then, the season two premiere kicked off with the third part of the Seas trilogy. First third, July the 15th, 2005. Written by Martin Garrow and directed by Martin Wood. And lots of happy, blowy-uppy things. I, I, get, I get the impression, at least I assume, this was filmed or the effects came from the season one budget rather than the season two budget. Normally at the end of the season, you know, they, they cut corners. How early were they greenlit for a season two? Mm, this episode wouldn't have been shot along with Siege 1 and Siege 2. This would have been a whole new a whole new budget for the new season, you'd imagine, once it was ah. greenlit. It could be a bit like computing. You generally get people, uh, the best time to place an order is either January and February when they're like, yay, new budget, spend, 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 spend. Or November when they realize if they don't spend it all before the middle of November, they're going to close the books and they'll get less next year. The joys of government budgeting. If you actually are efficient and you don't spend all you're allocated, the assumption is you didn't need it. You get less the following year. <laughs> and why I'm hiding in Finland. Right then. Well, there was no worry about spending and using up all the ordinance that the the saviours of Atlantis brought with them. They went through most of it at the season one finale, but they left a few bits and bobs behind. Mm. Of course, we successfully took out two hive ships that left uh, still another one, and they had to pull a few tricks with a nuclear weapon. The apparent yes. of John at the end of season one, right? Yeah, it was left on the cliffhanger. And as soon as we get the nice little... Beaming the new contrivance that's conveniently taken away because they can jam it. Was this the introduction of Hemorrhoid? I think we've seen him as soon as we've seen the Daedalus. He was on board 
<laughs> yeah, not bad episode, an interesting season opener. But more of a sort of, didn't really set a whole lot up, apart from the uh, big bad, bigger bad thing, because it's like, yes, we've blown up two hive chips, and oh crap, there's another 12. Well, we did get a few troubles with Aiden, you know, with the wraith enzyme after they found him floating in the ocean. Oh, yeah. Steals a jumper and leaves. Yeah, nearly giving the city away while they were cloaked. Thankfully, our hive ship sensors still didn't pick him up. You would have thought that sort of energy spike inside wouldn't have been able to be cloaked. When they set a nuke off above the city with no fallout. <laughs> it's a very, very good shield. And apparently the wind was blowing out to sea, so it's not... <laughs> a, it's not a, let's just hope the... Oh, God, Tethers people are called... The Athosians. Yes, let's hope the Athosians don't rely on fish. Well, as far as we know, the mainland is literally the other side of the planet. It was also an airburst, and quite frankly, apart from a few people that live very close to Trinity Atoll, and there really wasn't any fallout globally, was there? So the NSA would like it to think. I would imagine that every Geiger counter around the world may have clicked a few times if there hadn't been fallout. <laughs> Fair enough. How did it do in the poll? It got two votes. Ooh, not for me, didn't it? <laughs> did you vote for it, Brad? No, I did not vote for that. <laughs> Okay, The Intruder, 1st of July the 22nd, written by Joseph Mosley and Paul Mully and directed by Peter DeLuise. And this is pretty much set on board the Daedalus as it hyperspaces, hyperspace, <laughs> as it flies between the Milky Way and the Pegasus galaxies. You're up. I'm fairly certain I wasn't on this one. Yes, you were. Well, I wasn't on the next one. Well, where were you? I don't know. You were moving this time, weren't you? That seems fairly unlikely. I moved in September. I just don't recall being on The Intruder. I very specifically remember not being on The Runner. Yes, on The Intruder, we get a little bit of a, a virus on board the Daedalus that got kind of slipped in unawares. The computer became alive, if you will. John, of course, is now a lieutenant colonel. Major to lieutenant colonel is a bit of a jump, isn't it? The IOA and the US military weren't really keen on having him in charge of the military contingent upon Atlantis. And as Elizabeth pointed out, well, just promote him then. So they did. We got some deaths on board the ship as well. Dr. Lindstrom got zapped by gas and then sucked out. Yes, why out into space? He was played by Kamani Ray Smith, who recently got a Leo Award for his stunt work. Who's playing it? Who's playing it? Someone's watching it. Is that you, Alan? Actually playing the file to see if you... <laughs> That's not my voice. I just clicked. <laughs> I just clicked. It doesn't really matter, you know. You realise it will come Get through on your end. Well, why wouldn't it? Because it's through the headphones. No, oh, we've had that trouble before. Your headphones might be... Well, they are cheap. You make no bones about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're not that cheap. I think they're like 30 quid. Well, for 30 quid, then they should bloody well work. <laughs> I didn't get that far. I heard a blast of music at the start and I was like, crap. A few notable guest stars in this episode since they were going back to Earth. Bo Bridges, of course, in the IOA and SGT meeting. Garwin Sanford, a return to the show as Elizabeth's ex, Simon Wallace. Well, technically he wasn't her ex until she came back and found out he was her ex. <laughs> With long hair. Heather Dawkson as Major Pat Myers. She was in last year's Pacific Rim and in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland as well. Very CGI-heavy episode. Looks fantastic. Yeah, great-looking episode. Nice little thing with McKay when they're beaming into the hangar. <laughs> I don't know if he's been beamed before. This He's half expecting to turn up in a wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the intruder got one vote. And according to your own notes on the website, no, I wasn't. Fair enough. 
You happy now? Very good. <laughs> Come try ya. Okay, episode three, Runner. First aired July the 29th, written by Rob C. Cooper and directed by Martin Wood. A notable addition to the cast for this episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some say for the better. Well, yes, I tend to agree. <laughs> yeah. Rolling mad. Jason Momoa. A.K.A. Atlantis' answer to both Teok and has all the conversational sparkle of the Hulk. <laughs> we also had Jonathan Young as Dr. Parrish. You may know him better as Tesla from Sanctuary. Oh. And this was one of the early episodes where Major Lorne started to make a significant contribution to the show. Played by Kevin Smith, another fan favourite. Yeah. Well, they use their sort of B-cast world. When you get Raddick come in, the the good doctor, and, and Lorne come in as well. Later on, they hold their own episodes. Consider Raddick to be A-cast. Oh, well, like Paul McGillian, it, it took a season before he got his name on the credits. Yeah. Ronan uh, is being chased by a runner, has a, well, a run-in with Aidan Ford. The two mix it up a bit. Everybody goes hunting for each other. Chaos ensues. <laughs> Interesting scene of memory service. Has with... to make a house call. Yeah. They have to dig the tracer out. Mm. Tries to stay awake for it. This is where Carson realises that he's going to always have to carry his own bag. <laughs> of course, right at the end, we get Rodney hanging upside down from a tree. Ronan, having, basically Ronan just looking at him and walking off. <laughs> Aiden looking at him. Which everybody ignoring him <laughs> until the great showdown when Ford actually jumps into a Wraith scanner and gets beamed up. One way to escape the planet. Hmm. Yep, you're saying the way out and took it. Yep. And Runner got three votes. Hmm. Probably from female listeners. Come try ya! Right, up next, Duet. Broadcast August the 5th, written by Martin Garrow, directed by Peter DeLuise. One of my favourites and one I almost voted for. I did vote for this one. And um, while it may have an awful lot to do with Jamie Ray Newman, <laughs> well, it had pretty much everything to do with Jamie Ray Newman, if I had to admit it. <laughs> it was just a fun episode. Yes. I like humour in my science fiction. Except unless it's Battlestar, because that wasn't very humorous. And Stargate <laughs> Universe, that wasn't very uni- humorous either, come to think about it. There was a degree of dark humour. David Hewlett, you know, really excelled himself. He was playing both characters, he'd done a good job at it. <laughs> yes, we also met Katie Brown, who would later become an important female in the life of Rodney McKay. Claire Rankin again as Dr. Kate Heitmeyer. She was uh, doing the psychoanalysis on Rodney. Given how much you like cheesy sci-fi, did you ever see a movie called The Man With Two Brains? That's not cheesy sci-fi, that's a classic. <laughs> oh, come on, it is, it is a classic. Just because it's got Leslie Nielsen in it. Leslie Nielsen? Oh, it's not Leslie Nielsen, it's the other grey-haired guy that was in all the airplane films. I forget his name. That comedian, Steve Martin. Yes, thank you. Oh. Yeah, that was that was more mainstream. That was that was a pretty successful movie. You never seen it, Brad? No, I don't think I have. Uh, Martin Garrow got nominated for uh, a Writers Guild Award uh, drama series for this episode, and it got eight votes. Mm. Finally, after a season, we get our hands on a dart. We don't forget the fried mice. Ah, uh, yes, and we get some good practicals when it crashes too. Yeah, yes, we did. I think Lorne managed to shoot down a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come try ya! Hi, I'm Ian. And I'm Jonathan. And I'm Rem. Inviting you to join us for the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, a weekly review and exploration of the sci-fi movies that we all love. Ever wonder why Stanley Kubrick removed A Clockwork Orange from distribution in the UK? Why did Ridley Scott's Alien have no eyes? <laughs> 
Or who's the better dread, Sylvester Stallone or Carl Urban? Judgment time. And why do I hate the fifth element so much? Uh, really? Don't even get me started. Follow us on Facebook at Sci-Fi Movie Podcast. The Sci-Fi Movie Podcast. Subscribe in iTunes or visit our website at scifimoviepodcast.com. Up next, Condemned. First broadcast August the 12th. Written by Carl Binder, directed by Peter DeLuise. And this was the Prison Island adventure. And no floating white balls. No, no. That might have made it more interesting, actually. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it. Not enough to vote for it, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, it was an interesting story. A civilization, or at least a city, putting its condemned prisoners on an island where the Stargate was so that the Wraith could feed on them. But eventually realising that as the prison population declined, more and more activities became criminal offences. Mm-hmm. Yes, they couldn't keep up with their dietary requirements. For a generally light and fluffy show, it was quite a dark tone from Shepard when he basically just abandons your man to his face. Well, he didn't really deserve any compassion, did he? Most people had probably been sending there for a long time. Yeah. Also good to see an actual Wraith cruiser in atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with its weapon systems. <laughs> a ship that size. Can you imagine if that had been, say, a battleship half a mile away opening up with its main guns? It wouldn't just leave a little hole in the ground. Mm. It would blast the crater about 100 metres wide. They'd incinerate the area. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They're energy weapons designed for, you know, space combat, and they're just poofing against the ground. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot of granite. No excuse. It should have been a bit more spectacular. Yeah. Condemned got no votes. Oh, poor Condemned. Come now, speaking of bigger bangs, Trinity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Does it surprise you that I voted for this one? You were the vote. I'm sorry, did I give that away? <laughs> I like this one. I was looking forward to this all season. It was another fun episode. Looked spectacular. Hell of a lot of money spent on the effects. Rodney really going to town. Plenty of humour, but really, it was drama. It really was. His character was going off the deep end. Really showing his pride and arrogance. And monomania. And you actually make the statement that you're better than the ancients. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the ancients got it wrong. I can do it better by myself. Yeah, and the consequences, I mean, like, not just on the macro scale, but on the micro scale, the guy who's basically sacrificed himself. Oh, yeah. You commented extensively on it when we were recording. Never good to be an unnamed member of any expedition. <laughs> no. In Galaxy Quest, you don't even yeah. know my name. <laughs> I think I was like, don't have a first name. <laughs> They came across a planet which had a huge Wraith Armada blasted to bits in orbit. They went down to the planet. They found that the city was decimated as well, except for one building, which turned out to be an ancient weapon system that was drawing energy from another universe. There was a B-plot. Taylor and Ronan went off-world, do a bit of trading. Ronan kind of screwed the negotiations up, but did manage to kill a man. So, not a bad day out. That was yeah. very sort of casual. No... This is the Ronan style of negotiation, which doesn't tend to get a lot of... Almost literally shoot first and don't even bother asking questions. That was the cost-saving side of the episode. Yeah, exactly. You're in business. We get to see a bit more of Ronan's backstory. (laughs) Yep, unfortunately, this only got one vote. From me. From Ali. (laughs) It deserved more. Just for the final shot, with them returning through the gate and having Elizabeth and Joe and Rodney out in the office, you can hear them all over the gate room. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that was a clever touch. I mean, they could argue that the fact that it should be soundproof. You would think it would be soundproof, but 
the fact that you can actually hear it, it does draw the attention of people coming through the gate and our own attention, and we know what's going on. Taylor and Ronan don't. Yeah. Even without the audio, you get the pen back in front of them and you can see we're up there, half crouched over, yelling in his face, and Rodney's all slunched down. Probably be even better if she were throwing things at That's why she has all those ornaments on her desk, so she can throw things at people. She could have impaled them on the table. <laughs> you see this gong? Boing. <laughs> <laughs> you blew up a solar system. It's technically two-thirds. <laughs> be accurate about this. Now is the time, Ron, to shut up. Okay, up next, episode 7, Instinct, first broadcast August the 26th. Two new writers for this, the writing duo Trina Hancock and Melissa R. Byer, directed by Annie Mikita, and the first appearance in Atlantis for Dual State, playing Elia. Although we can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can tell the voice. Well, they all did the voice. One of the benefits, into you know, when, uh, when they have a guest character who's under prosthetics, they can always come back again sans prosthetics. Yeah. No worries. And let's face it, who wouldn't want to see Jules State sans prosthetic or sans lots of other things? A fun little episode, you know, lots of location work. Ronan really doesn't handle himself around Wraith, understandable, but mm-hmm. you think he'd have a slightly more control. He wasn't, you know, in his world's military. Yeah. No discipline whatsoever. I mean, she only offered him a cookie. Yeah. Paul McGillian making another house call. Oh, yeah. This is where... Carson's dabbling really starts to cause havoc. Yep. Not as much as havoc as it will. Well, this is where it begins. Mm. John gets bit. Yep. Yep. When she said she doesn't bite, she was lying. (laughs) John. Nothing to worry about. Bad kitty. (laughs) So, first appearance of the retrovirus. Unfortunately, we had villagers with pitchforks. Mm -hmm. How can you go wrong with villagers (laughs) with pitchforks? Did we act flaming torches? There was flaming torches, there was uh, shovels. Yay! <laughs> there was also <laughs> shovels. <laughs> uh... Me, I'd say, go on, lads, go get them. I'll stay in the pub. <laughs> yeah, going after a rifle right shovel. <laughs> if you gave the shovel to Ron, then I'd give him at least a 50-50 chance. But he doesn't need a shovel. <laughs> Snap the handle off his stick with his knee and just use that. <laughs> yeah. I'll rip your arm off and beat you to death with the soggy end. Got to be impressed whenever they have... A steady cam operator, you know, working in the city or in the SEC, but when you're on location, mm. well, he's not looking where he's going. <laughs> a lot of forest shots in this one. Yeah. Instinct got no votes. It'd be good to see some outtakes just to see how many times he was as steady as he should have been. <laughs> okay, then, up next, unofficial two parter since they don't share the same name Conversion. This aired September the 9th, 2005. This was a story by Rob C. Cooper and Martin Garrow, written by Martin Garrow and directed by Brad Turner. And this is the aftermath of John's Raitus bite. Mm. And uh, the Stargate wiki has, for each episode, guest stars and enemies. And in this one, guest stars <laughs> is a Raitus bug and enemies is John Shepard. <laughs> They're technically right about John Shepard. I'm not sure the Raitus bug deserves billing. <laughs> John's bite has healed. Ooh. Mm. Yep. No mark or nothing. Yes, what do we know that can heal? And then slowly over the first 20-odd minutes, John's facial features start to contort, and his skin gets rougher. John, you're looking a little green. <laughs> it's a lighting. Whenever Elizabeth went to his room, I'm sure he just had less potlight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> to the point where he's hanging from the ceiling. You think, that's not right. And climbing up the walls. He did a passable Spider-Man impression, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't need floppy hair to do it. No. No funky blues music or anything, no emo Oh, uh, God. 
stop. <laughs> the fun bit about this episode, though, was going in search of the Aratus DNA. Everybody mm. wearing, uh, you know, night vision goggles into the into the cavern. Bugs running about. Carson wetting right. himself. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they had a chance to make up for the rubber puppet they had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did a good job, and they probably decided that's the last time we actually use a physical prop. Yep. It never really worked well with the symbiote. Yeah. Apart from in Children of the Gods, where, to be honest with you, most people probably weren't really looking at the symbiote. And the rest of them were sitting in shock saying, my God, what are we watching? <laughs> <laughs> Props to the makeup crew on this too. they done a good job with the conversion process. Oh, they did, yeah. Gradual, but when it was done, he looked fairly freaky. Conversion got four votes. Mm. I take it from that noise, Brad didn't vote for this one either. No. Come Right then, up next, episode nine of season two, Aurora. First broadcast September the 23rd. This was a story by Brad Wright and Carl Binder. Written by Carl Binder and directed by Martin Wood. This episode starred Pascal Hutton as Trebell and Bruce Dawson as the captain of the Aurora. If I put a vote with twice, this one probably would have got the other vote. Same here. I like Rodney episodes. A lot of humour. Yep, and again, this would have nothing to do with Pascal Hutton. <laughs> Until the end. People may be getting the wrong impression about me. The right impression, <laughs> but the wrong one. <laughs> a 10,000-year-old ancient warship in the middle of nowhere, picked up by the scanners. The Daedalus goes to investigate... They find the whole crew in cryosuspension, suspension, but their brains are active. They've been in a good fight. Yeah, it's been in a serious battle. And of course, what do you do? You you do the Matrix. Go in there and we get some good shots. It wasn't a new set, was it? They had the set built. Just had a light episode. Like it was each mm. one. Uh, they could have really pushed it and seen if they could have got Hugo Weaving as the captain. You know, just to throw you off as to who would rate. It's always the woman. Yeah. It's the ones you don't see. Even after Rodney found out that she was a wraith, he still thought, oh, she's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this could still be interesting. You know, I, know, I know what you are, but still, damn. <laughs> yeah, we know why he doesn't have a... He should. Well, anyway, the Aurora was returning to Atlantis with critical information that could help defeat the wraith. And that information got lost, and the Aurora self-destructed. They went out with a bang. Yep, nothing much was accomplished, except they well, really nothing much. And they have the half idea that there may be a weakness in Rafe Tech, but they can't be sure now. Doesn't really help him much, does it? <laughs> no. Anyway, Aurora. Still flying under the radar at the moment. They need to get rid of the Rafe. Exactly. That was the, the secondary consideration, along with the fact that the bodies couldn't be revived anyway. The last act of the crew of the Aurora was to protect Atlantis. Yep. This episode got six votes. Hmm. You're keeping track? Really? Come Episode 10, The Lost Boys and the Return of Rainbow Sun Franks. Hyped up on Enzyme, kidnaps the members of the team, feeds them the Enzyme through the food. Poor Rodney can't help but eat whatever's <laughs> yeah. in front of him. <laughs> Unless it's duck of the orange. Uh, that ain't got lemon in. It's got citrus. Yeah, but he's never said he's, he doesn't like oranges or grapefruit, only lemons. Yeah, but whenever he says he's deadly allergic to it, it's always citrus. Thank you, Brad. Although we did get the lemon put in his face later on, so... They probably only had a lemon handy. No space fruit? It wouldn't have been much good on the, an ancient sailing ship, though, would you, where you need mm-hmm. a bit of vitamin C? Yeah. You've only got limes and lemons. I'm allergic to them. Tough. Aidan Ford, total nutcase, who's got an idea to attack a hive ship using a down dart. Prove that well, the enzyme's not, not as bad as they all think it is. <laughs> and he's doing a good job throughout the first half of this two-parter. 
it's all positives. Taylor and Ronan are getting stronger and stronger. Even Rodney is putting on a bit of muscle mass. Yeah, they've got themselves the dart. Although now is that second episode. I think this is the first episode that he reveals that part of the plan to him. Yeah, the the weird thing where where they're stealing explosives from the Janai. Oh yeah. Ne- never a good idea. <laughs> well, no, not when his fiendish cunning plan is charged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only one of your men got killed. Yeah, no, we're stronger than them. You may uh, be able to take okay. a bullet, but it's not going to keep you alive. Yeah, I mean, terrible to say, but you've got Taylor. You know, dig out a nice little costume, have a wonder by, draw their attention. She could probably take them all out. No bother at all. Yep. Unless one of the guards turned out that he's not into women, and then <laughs> he shoots everybody. <laughs> well, that's between Taylor and Roman. Ah, that could be it, yes. Yeah, but just your bases. Not Cover as little on Roman as you have to. <laughs> the Wraith Queen, Andy Frizzle, is also in this episode. In one of many disguises, she plays all the Wraith Queens throughout the series. For the one time when Taylor disguises herself as a Wraith Queen, technically not a Wraith Queen. <laughs> yeah, a reasonable first part of a two-parter, but uh, I think at this point, well, it's pretty decent for Ford and Rainbow, but it does show that they really drew a blank with what they could do with his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. This episode got a single vote. Come try ya! On to the... Second part, The Hive. Broadcast November the 21st, so two months later. Whoa. Oh. Made you wait for it. Yep. Yep. Written by Carl Binder, directed by Martin Wood. And the plan is put into motion. We get inside The Hive. Kind of phrase, it went a little darker. <laughs> well, it started off badly when half the invading force got dropped off a ledge and fell to the death. Mm. We don't know <laughs> they fell to the death. Uh, well... I'm surmising that they fell to the death. <laughs> it looked a long way down. At the very least, fell at the bottom of the ship. <laughs> floating in space. I suppose Alan could be right. The multiple gravity fields, as they got below halfway, you know, the gravity went the other way, so they started to slow down. You know, they were still floating in the middle of the hive. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go anywhere. And all the wraith were around him going, well, you don't see that very often, do you? <laughs> we're just going to leave you there until we get rid Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have free-range food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, this episode got a bit more complicated when a second Hive ship pulled up. Yep. And this is when John was actually captured and being interrogated by the Hive Queen. In the laser room. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very high-tech, that was. He really gave a very good, well, spiel. Well, bought it, if you want to call it. <laughs> I mean, he even embraced the idea of wraith worshippers without missing a beat. Yeah, that wasn't a bit creepy at all. Well, it's not. I mean, let's face it, if you're a servant to uh, vampires, you know, your goal probably is to be turned into a vampire yourself and you still retain some of your individuality. If you were, what's the plus point of being a wraith worshipper? Oh, they might have some bugs handy. Yeah, yeah like we, we discussed on the episode, of, like you'd have close by if they need to feed, but maybe if they showed them that they could heal the worshippers, sort of in gratitude for service. Yeah, but we don't know if they can do that yet. Ah, oh, no. Yeah, that's quite right. The wraith worshipper that John shares a, a prison cell with. <laughs> Young woman, had to be, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Nera, played by Jen Bird. And this was the amazing redress prison cell sets, <laughs> where, where basically you could put the Benny Hill music on as the uh, characters ran around the ship, always <laughs> going through the same room every other turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we learn that humanity's greatest enemy are clowns coming out of Volkswagens. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'd love to come up in a later episode of the Wraith saying, we know, we know who your enemy is or something. Uh, this episode got nominated for a Gemini Award, Best Sound in a Dramatic Series. And it's got one vote. Again, not proud, obviously. Come try ya! Right, up next, Epiphany. 
This was broadcast November the 28th. This was a story by Joe Flanagan and Brad Wright, written by Brad Wright and directed by Stargate first-timer Neil Fernley. This was the time portal and the ancient village. Yes, we have a sanctuary, different world. The whole, hold in your mind. So we get the map on the stick. Get the map on the stick. <laughs> map on the stick. <laughs> Brilliant invention that was. Credit to Rodney for eventually figuring it out. Not until such time that John was right royally pissed off with him. <laughs> yep. It's been days. <laughs> well, all that time, and the big puzzle was, well, there's obviously a way out of those caves, and he hasn't gone exploring, he's just been sitting there. Oh, he'd gone for a walk. He said that there wasn't any food or water in the immediate area. Mm-hmm. He obviously hadn't gone far enough. Yeah, it was good as well when uh, Rodney was actually explaining the situation, and he had to repeat it two or three times, just so they got it into their heads that by the time he'd finished the explanation, John was a day older. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Is that going to screw with John's birthday? Uh, well, no, not really. Birthdays are pretty arbitrary, aren't they? You know, we we the human race made up the calendars. <laughs> I like this episode. I, I would have liked to vote for this episode. It was a lot of fun. We had Chad Morgan as Tier showing once again that John, if there's a woman involved, he can make friends very, <laughs> very easily. Yep. Especially bearded John. Yes, actually looked pretty good, didn't he? <laughs> you want to hear any argument from me? No, good sign that time's progressing. Yeah, let the bees go. You know you're on a good thing when the woman you're with says, "I've seen what happens. I know what happens, and I'm staying." Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, this was the episode that they kind of filmed backwards, so John could actually grow his beard during the brief hiatus, and then slowly cut it down as they went filming. Oh. And it worked very well. It would have looked ridiculous if they'd put a fake beard on him. <laughs> really. We've all seen shows when they've done that. Mm-hmm. Agents of Shield with what's his name, Adrian Pazdar. And he's got the fakest moustache on. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> All right, Epiphany got a single vote. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Kirsty. We bring you Two to Beam Up, a Star Trek original series episode review podcast. Never watched the original series and my husband here tells me that it's worth watching. So listen every other week and find out what I think. So are you looking forward to this? Doing the podcast, yes. Uh, watching the episodes, well, we'll see, won't we? You love it. Hmm. So keep an eye out on our forum at forum.trekmatefamily.com and on our Twitter account at trekmate1701. See you later. Alright, Critical Mass, 13th episode of season 2. First broadcast December the 5th. Story by Brad Wright and Carl Binder. Written by Carl Binder and directed by Andy Makita. Oh, look, Jamie Ray Newman's back. And new interrogation technique by Ronan. Yep. <laughs> Poor Kavanaugh. Yep. We almost feel sorry for him. We don't. We do. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> we did to do this for a long time. Yep, this is going to be fun. Yep, Ben Cotton really, really plays Kavanaugh well. We get a mini crossover with the SGC. Oh, yeah. The uh, revelation that there's a, a bomb tied to the gate. So the next time Atlantis dials out, boom. This is the consequence of uh, the world infiltrating the Trust. A well-known bad guy infiltrating a super-secret organisation hell-bent on world domination. Never a good thing. No. Ellie Harvey returned. Bill Dow also made an appearance. Always good to see Dr. <laughs> Lee. Yeah, it's explaining the twilight bark to the military. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was good or bad that I actually understood it, because I've read the book. It almost sounds as if you actually put that connection through, there's something wrong with you. 
got to be the Lord of the Rings example or nothing. Yeah. Anyway, Rodney has a bit of fun trying to uh, figure out who the bomber is. He pretty much suspects Cadman because, oh, look, <laughs> she's a bomb expert. Right. <laughs> it turns out to be somebody totally unexpected. Yeah. And Cadman throws military protocol out the window because she's always walking around for hair down. Jock horror. I know Stargate tried to do things right, but it isn't that important. It's a TV series. Come on. <laughs> and the Air Force didn't exactly pull out of the deal supplying F-16s to them because of that. <laughs> they weren't too bothered about it. Critical mass. It got five votes. What did Catman have much to do with that? Yeah, this is probably my most watched episode from season two, but I didn't vote it as number one. Mm, right then. Ah, did you go with Grace under pressure instead? No, I didn't. Otherwise known as the Amanda Tapping wet t-shirt episode. <laughs> yes, which is next. Contraya! First broadcast, December the 12th, 2005. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Martin Wood. Of course, as we say, the uh, a recently rebuilt jumper has been on a test flight. And so you take a jumper for a test flight way out into the middle mm. of the ocean. Yeah. Don't circle the city like. <laughs> or go straight up into space. Well, I suppose you could just float there. At least you've got something that could come and fetch you. Hmm. Well, let's face it, it all goes badly, but credit to David Hewlett and Amanda Tapping. They really, really worked this episode well. Mm-hmm. I'm it's sure it was torturous for David Hewlett to be in such close confines with Amanda Tapping for a long time. In cold water. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that explains it. It was cold water. <laughs> <laughs> There's good range in this episode. Let's not forget Captain Griffin, who sacrificed himself to save Rodney. We didn't know him much, but they gave him and gave him enough lines and interactions so that you you actually liked the guy before he died. <laughs> Yet no, tell my wife and children I love him speech before he hit the button. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going back to Earth tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Three days to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that had been given away the fact that he was going to die any minute, wasn't it? Really, he almost conditioned to expect that these days. Yep. I think I were in the UK for this one. Yes, you weren't on this one. No. I was tempted to watch it anyway, just to see Amanda. Well, it's never a bad idea to watch Stargate when you do a Stargate podcast. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Well, <laughs> and ruin the formula that's been worked for four and a half years. We could do a poll. I wonder if um, this was shot after Into Darkness, if we would have seen the Daedalus go down the retrieve and not the jumper. No, because that was one of the more stupid things ever. What? Oh, come on. Oh, well, I can't speak. I haven't seen it yet. God, you're as bad oh, as Alan. Going off the trailer. <laughs> what? What is he talking about? The Enterprise being underwater. Oh, that. A huge starship, underwater, no shields. If it had any shields on, that would have made sense. But there is no way that ship getting hydrogen and all that sort of stuff that collectors, that salt water isn't going to damage it. I know they don't have port windows that can open and close. There's no, you know, beep, beep, please close all the windows. We're going underwater. <laughs> they don't have that problem, but still. It looked great, but it was stupid. No, I did realise shields went up. Yeah, whereas... This one made perfect sense. They crashed in the water, the jumper, because it built like a solid dinky toy. Survived the impact with only a few stress fractures, and as it sunk to the bottom, it started to uh, gather water up, and that's when McKay... Well, we assume he had a very bad head wound, so confused, certainly, hallucinating, definitely. But it was logical and well-reasoned hallucinations. Well, of course, it's McKay. Trying to restart the engines. Yeah, you often wonder if, if pushed so far, McKay would go totally off the deep end. Not quite deep enough. No, probably not. Oh, and we got the alien whale as well. Mm. That saved the day. I wonder if that whale actually was one that made the return. Mm. The same CGI model, perhaps. Yep, this episode got nominated for a primetime Emmy. 
Outstanding mm. music composition for a series. That was for Joel Goldsmith. And he got five votes. Mm. So we're moving on to episode 15 of season two. The Tower. Ah. <laughs> Broadcast December the 19th. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mulley and directed by Annie Makita. Take it away, Brad. Uh, there's a whole city sitting there. And we do nothing with it. <laughs> we steal their drones. We take the, uh, we give them all the ancient gene, then steal most of their drones so they can't use the weapons anyway. And mm. Remove their government. Put it this way, you know, it's so overgrown, it would take forever with a strimmer <laughs> to clear it all off. Well, it's partially buried too, so you've only really got whatever catacombs haven't collapsed. Technically, if you plug the ZPM in, you can activate the shield. Yeah, it's been there 10,000 years minimum. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's half buried. There's probably a lot of the rock structures are actually fused to the hull of the city. Vines going in. When they actually activated the star drive, it was shaking so much. The only thing they could do was pretty much cherry pick a lot of the systems that were still intact. Yeah. And yeah, still several thousand drones. Shield emitters would be on the outside of the piers. Yeah. I have to say, excellent performance by Peter Woodward. Always an excellent performance. <laughs> First off, you think, hey, this is a nice guy. You know, oh, man of the people, strong. None of this dandyish stuff that were coming from the rest of the royal families. Mm-hmm. And then it turned. It went dark. Knowledge of poisons. It was still nice. I told you you should have left. Yep. <laughs> I gave it a chance to go, but you stayed. Oh, by the way, have you met my future wife? Oh, yes. You screwed her last night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. You still should have left. Jay Brazauer as well, returning to Stargate. Come try her. Tin Man. Oh. Yep. Jalen Simmons who got, well, she didn't get naked because it was strategic nakedness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was naked where the camera was looking. Put it that way. Quite. Let's not forget Baldrick. Yep, and we're left wondering if there's another little John running around out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the encounters thus far this season, probably five or six. Yeah, I think we're up four by now. Got a very graphic demonstration that Ronan doesn't take kindly to women being manhandled. No. Yep. Very definitive statement mm-hmm. he was making. Mm-hmm. They were Nazis, they deserved it. Yes, they did rather dress him like that, didn't they? Mm. <laughs> Again, though, another fun episode. Some nice twists and turns, two decent storylines going alongside each other. The only downside, as we said at the time, and what the feedback pretty much demonstrated that, why did they never reference the city again? Even DS9 referenced the other Kardashian space station. Yep, even some from Elizabeth joined Rodney again, saying that when he activated the star drive, pretty much the rest of the city collapsed or something like that. It wouldn't have been hard just to reference that they'd gone back and it had been since destroyed or something. Yeah. The villagers burnt it down. Mm. <laughs> and they finally revolted. Death to the royals. Yeah, and now we know where she keeps getting the office windows from when Shepard breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, here's some food. We're just taking a window. <laughs> the tower, it got three votes. Right then. The Long Goodbye, episode 16. First broadcast January the 2nd, 2006. Written by Damien Kindler, directed by Andy Makita. And this was the episode where John and Elizabeth went all smoogy. Yep. This was the nod to the shippers in the audience that like this pairing. They're never going to get together, but if they're possessed by aliens, great idea. (laughs) They rescue the pod that isn't in a decaying orbit first. (laughs) Well, the whole finding those pods in orbit at that time, still so close together. (laughs) Okay, we'll let that pass. Yeah, there's no reference that there may have been a couple others that have already... It's only those two. That's a shame, really. Find out nothing about them, apart from the fact that they're war-hungry and try and kill each other until their last breath. 
when you're watching the episode, you enjoyed it for what it was, but it wasn't one of the highlights of the second season. No. We knew she wasn't going to kill John. That whole tension was dead end. Why are you sending me a YouTube link while we were recording, Alan? I think that just pop up. I thought, oh no, I've lost everyone. <laughs> it's a song by Paul Brady called The Long Goodbye. Okay. The Long Goodbye. It got no vote. Ah, right then, the return of the Janai in coup d'etat. First aired January the 10th, 2006. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Martin Wood. Notable guest stars. Colmini returned as Cowan. Ryan Robbins returned as Layden. Sonia Bennett was playing Dahlia. Cowan won't return again. No, uh, I was going <laughs> to say, Cowan goes out with a bang. Layden, what have you done? Rather an impressive tombstone, really. Mm. <laughs> yes, the kid is in a hundred years field trip. This is where our glorious leader, Cowan, died fighting those wines from Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your years of service. Well, he, he was a bit of a madman. I mean, let's face it, the homeworld had been raided by the Wraith. Uh, some people had survived, but they still decided to go on the offensive and attack other worlds using the mm. nukes, and they wanted the jumpers for that. And you think, well... Button down for a couple of generations, ride the storm out. Yeah. Cowan was oh power hungry. Keep perfecting your technology and rehabilitate. Yeah. You know, breed a few more soldiers. Not if they're walking anywhere near the nukes. Well, it was only so many people working in that part of the system, wasn't there? Breeding could be a tad difficult. Yeah, that underground complex was a lot bigger than just the laboratories that we saw. Mm. Yep. And there's no reason to assume that that was detected because they still had nukes. Fair enough. Couldn't really tell which way he was going, too, when. Rodney went to see him, tell him about Layden's plan, and he just smiled at him the whole time, and, oh, thanks for the information, goodbye. He's always thinking bad thoughts, but he just lets them go again. Uh, Major Lawn's burnt skeleton. <laughs> that was some nice prop work. Not really much to say about the episode, though. You could say it wrapped the July chapter up. However, it didn't wrap up the fact that there's still a bounty on those team members' heads. Perhaps Layden afterwards sent out another bunch of flyers. Ignore the first bunch. New leader, new orders. <laughs> yeah. Pity we didn't see Bolia in this episode, but he will return. Coup d'etat, he got three votes. Hmm. Episode 18, a new guest star, Connor Trenier, joins Stargate Atlantis in the episode Michael, which first broadcast January the 16th, 2006, written by Carl Binder and directed by Martin Wood. Yes, we're going to turn the wrath into humans. Hmm. Carson... The madman scientist is still practicing his <laughs> questionable ethics. Yeah. It really, really is. I mean, this is genocide done politely. <laughs> you know, we, we're going to take away everything you are, but you're still going to be there. So we're not technically killing you. So it's not genocide. Yeah. We're just turning you into something that is more useful. Yep. This is where Michael, Lieutenant Michael Kenmore wakes up in his bed, suffering from amnesia. Turns out he was a member of a team that got captured by the Wraith and they were rescued. Taylor befriends him. Learn suddenly that he's very good at combat when he fights Ronan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, although not Ronan, I don't do it. Ronan really doesn't like him. Ronan knows what he was. If Ronan had spent a few days on holiday, this episode would have been far easier to go by. <laughs> <laughs> the experiment might have worked. Yeah. Of course, Michael realises what he was after he visits Carson in uh, the infirmary, and Carson is asleep. And conveniently, all the DVDs with the testing conveniently placed to take away. Yeah, uh, And as you would expect, Michael is not happy. It's a bit no. of a stretch. Well, it was fortunate that the two guards that were sent to accompany him were distracted. Mm. As things go wrong, Michael is eventually taken off-world to one of the... Uh, I don't know if it was mentioned as Alpha Tite or not. 
But he uses his mind powers to compel Taylor into letting him go. Yep. And then they run off world. A wraith planet where a high ship is waiting. Yeah, we get to see a nice visual of the park. Yeah. So the question, will we see him again? Alpha sites never seem to last very long. That's why we normally keep them just tense. <laughs> just call it temporary site and be done with it. Yep. Michael did not get any votes. Really? I, yeah, I was surprised as well. I wouldn't say it was the worst of the season. Perhaps there's no Connor fans in the fan base of the Gatecast. <laughs> and let's move on to episode 19, Inferno. Broadcast January the 23rd, written by Carl Binder and directed by Peter DeLuise. Once again, Peter gets his hands on Brandy Ledford, playing Narina. And once again, uh, Ronan manages to blow something up. He's getting good at this. Ronan? Or Rodney. Well, technically, he doesn't blow it up. The volcano's going to blow up whether he was there or not. He helps. <laughs> well, he realises what's going to happen before anybody else. Mm. And if he had any sense, he'd have said, I'm just going back to Atlanta a couple of days. <laughs> Turn yeah. from astrophysicist into a geologist. <laughs> it sounds like the start of a bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious how Narina was following him around all the time. Yeah. Then she was following John around all the time. You're a lost puppy. Mm. Yeah, that was cute. Especially when they had the first earthquake and Rodney runs to stand under a, a doorway. <laughs> Everybody's just looking at him. <laughs> Dead military procedure. <laughs> Tries to man up, you know, he's, sort of, he's doing the casual one-handed <laughs> lean against the doorframe. <laughs> yes, this is where yeah. my vote fell. Is it right? Yes. And then he's, he's under the console and he rips his nail. <laughs> the whole world's going to be destroyed, but I burnt me nail. <laughs> yes, no, there's some great stuff there in the facility between them two. Yeah. And the visual of the gate sinking into the lava. Yet again, the Daedalus. Well, first, they find another ancient warship intact. Yes. Uh-huh. And they're not going at the Enterprise. Well, how lucky do these people get? Yes. <laughs> yeah, how many warships did these guys just leave lying around? It makes you wonder. Oh, actually. We... <laughs> you wouldn't forget it, would you? I parked it somewhere. <laughs> Cannot remember where. You'd think it'd be the first thing they searched for in the ancient database when they got there. P-search, agent warship. Uh, you know, having found two of them, maybe they might actually start searching now. Yeah, especially the facilities there in the hangar, it's parked there. Like, it couldn't have just been misplaced, perhaps like the Aurora was. It makes you wonder, as we've seen with the ancients, not all of the same mind, you know. There are political motivations within the council. Mm. Even Merlin himself was actually building the Ori, uh, anti-Ori weapon behind everybody's back. Mm. The time ship was built behind everybody's back. So it makes you wonder if when the ancients went out into the Pegasus galaxy, they literally did it off their own back. It wasn't organised by a central government. So perhaps one ancient took his ship there, did some work, built them the shield, and most of his crew went back via the Stargate. Hell, maybe even the Wraith were in the general system, so they left the ship there, went back to Atlantis via the Stargate, and they never got a chance to go back. Yes, and the Daedalus doesn't really ferry passengers back and forth. doesn't save them from the end that's coming. Nope. Inferno got one vote. Oh. <laughs> that's uncanny, isn't it? You know, Alan <laughs> voted for an episode that got one vote. You voted for an episode that got one vote. The Flesh Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. 200 miles below the surface of the Earth, at the terminus of a series of long sealed caverns and interconnected shines. 
Under the shadow of the eternally bleeding eye, there is a crippled wreck of a man writing tales, stories of a dimension engulfed in madness. He is writing them of you. Think them all at fleshpulp.com or search for it on iTunes. Right then, the season finale, Allies. First broadcast January the 30th, 2006. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Andy Makita. And the return of Michael. We didn't really wait that long for it to bite person on the arse, did we? No. <laughs> but that's a problem. When, when somebody finds out Atlantis is still there, runs around the city for the better part of a day, and then they let him escape. Mm. Right into the hands of the Wraith. That's never going to be good. So when they come a-calling... Yeah, and that's the one bargaining tool he's got, so don't kill him. He says, I've been there, I know what's going on. Yeah, so <laughs> when the radio signal comes across, Hello? We know you're there. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I know you're there. <laughs> come back to bodice in the butt. This time around, Michael was played by Brent State. You may remember him as Rev Brem. Brem, or is it Brem Rev? Rev Brem. Rev Brem <laughs> from Andromeda. Sure, when I edit this together, it'll be perfect. Don't worry about it. <laughs> of course, the, the purpose of uh, Michael's editing is largely to embarrass me. <laughs> yes, they were pleased with the performance Brent gave. Obviously, he had most of his mannerisms on watching what Connor did. They did eventually replace the voice, though. They thought it was a bit too different. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate for the actor, but he knew what he was getting into when he got the role. Yep. Andy Frizzle, again, as a different Hive Queen. Very orange tone for this one. Mm. Lots of tattoos. Very imposing woman. Totally untrustworthy. She's there. She has a plan. <laughs> yeah. Would you like these uh, schematics? Just let us have access to your computer. Mm. No worries. Yeah, firewalled. Would you like these? Yes. Don't worry. They're behind a firewall this time. Was this oh. the episode where you mentioned Plinkthorn? Uh, in what reference? In that you were watching, I think, Elementary or something. They were asking, they said, this guy has Plinkthorn, but he doesn't puck. I remember that. And the tattoo. I discovered another use. Oh, my. Okay. Nothing like that. If you put it over a touchscreen, tablet, or phone, it will protect it from anything short of very heavy rain. Because normally when beads of moisture touch the surface of the tablet, it reads it as a fingertip touch, which means it tends to go a bit mental. Ah, right. So it means I can still ingress in the rain. (laughs) Oh, that game. (laughs) It's fun. I tell you, on your gravestone... Here was a portal. <laughs> I submitted my first portal yesterday. Did you? Thought it were a description of the waterfall. Turns out it was just a fishery sign. <laughs> but it's all in Finnish, and I'm hoping Google will just accept it and not bother to translate it. Okay, best. Back to our lies. As you would expect, of course, the Wraith double-crossed everybody, even though they've allowed McKay access to their system to test the beaming technology to allow them to nuke Wraith ships. <laughs> yes. The Daedalus turns up to aid the friendly Wraith ship to find that they both turn on them. Yep. Thanks to the information they've nicked from the Atlantis database. Yep. Let's not forget the fact that they saw the virus turn the Wraith into a human, which the Queen promptly ate. Yes. Tastes a bit bland. Needs salt. Yep. <laughs> Good little one-two between Tarzan and Radic when they're talking to the Wraith, planning aerosol. <laughs> Piece of trivia, which is at the bottom of the wiki page. 
This is the only season of Atlantis in which Christopher Heindel doesn't appear. This is the only season of television that Christopher Heindel... (laughs) (laughs) The whole world of Wraith changes when Christopher joins the cast. Indeed. We'll get to that eventually. So that was Allies, a single vote. A good cliffhanger as well with Ronan and McKay in the hardship, governing goo. Finally found their way there. Neither season really ends well for our guys. Well, it's far more interesting than kind of a happy, upbeat ending, isn't it? And you have a happy cliffhanger? That's a point. I suppose technically, you know, maybe a, a guy goes to uh, the woman he loves, gets down on his knees just to open the box to be continued. Oh, yeah. Of course, then you go through the summer months thinking, what if that was a bomb and he doesn't know it? <laughs> what if he opens it up and she says, I've been meaning to tell you, I'm already married. <laughs> or she turns around and she's a race and she feeds on. <laughs> yeah, anything's possible. Darling, you've changed. <laughs> for the better. Okay, then, the voting for the season. We only got 46 votes for season two of Atlantis. Again, like the SG1 voting, it was only open for a shorter time. So we only voted once this time. Probably another reason, Bradley. Yep. Okay, first place, Duet, 17 votes. Second place, Aurora, six votes. And we got a tie for third place between Critical Mass and Grace Under Pressure, both of which got five votes. Mm. Yep, happy with that. Good episodes. Two, I'd put at the bottom would be... uh... Tower. Probably the probably old tower's definitely at the bottom. Either that or the long goodbye, maybe. But they're all, all pretty strong episodes for the second season. Whenever you look at Stargate, and maybe early on in Atlantis, more so than SG One, obviously they're riding off the back of eight to nine seasons of experience. Mm. Overall production of every episode of every season is fantastic. There you go. And we know that Sci-Fi doesn't spend a lot of money on its shows. They never have done. But what they do spend, the producers of Atlantis have really worked well with it. Mm. Can you make that mm, a little bit more definitive? Alan, <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think about the season? Um, it's hard to say because looking back over it, if nothing else, I've had a rather busy year. Next year will be a lot easier. We can focus on important things like the podcast. Speaking of next season. Mm-hmm. Next week, we return to our regular scheduled format for Season 10, Episode 1 of Stargate SG-1, Flesh and Blood. Final mm. countdown. Or I hear. Yeah, as I noted on Twitter, rather bizarrely, if you go to Netflix Mexico, you can get SG-1 Seasons 1 to 9, but not 10, which is most bizarre. I must actually price Netflix in Finland to see if it's cheaper, because I'm currently paying for an Irish account. Yeah, it might be. I'm also quite ticked off that they cancelled Intelligence. Not so much for the star, but more because I really like John Billington. Many thanks for voting in this season's wrap-up show. As we said, next week we return to Stargate SG-1 for Flesh and Blood. We've got plenty of episodes open. If you'd like to join us for an episode of Season 10 of SG-1 or Season 3 of Atlantis, get in touch by any of the following methods. We have a contact form on gatecast.co.uk. And our email address is gatecastpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Google Plus under Gatecast. And on Twitter we are at the Gatecast, which is one word. The podcast is also listed on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio. And we would love to get some reviews and ratings on both of those services. So until next week then, I've been Mike. I've been Alan. And I've been Brad. Take care everybody and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. You've been listening to the Gatecast hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk 
Stargate Forever. Yeah.